When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson, and this is episode number 133. Well, just ahead, Alibaba is kind of a mystery. They're not telling us much. You're going to hear it first here. And Autodesk, a supplier of digital software, is blaming the supply chain and shipping for their problems. We're going to hear why that makes a lot of sense. And Shopify is booming. So what does that mean for their fast-growing competitor, Big Commerce? We're going to talk to the Big Commerce CEO and get underneath the hood of that business with CEO Brent Bellum. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And if you think you've missed an episode of the Drill Down Podcast, just ask your smart speaker, say, hey, smart speaker, you know, like Google Play or Alexa, whatever. Say, hey, smart speaker, play the Drill Down Podcast. And you'll hear our latest episode. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, welcome to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster joins me. He is our executive editor. Executive producer, excuse me. Right. Producer. Boss man. He uh, kicks the asses. I keep the train running on the tracks, at least I try. <laughs> Despite uh. my best efforts. Um, <laughs> and uh, Isaac, uh, good to see you. Uh, hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving. I did. Did you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, where'd you get anything Whole special? Team was together. Now you Actually, know, I don't that's know if great. I, told this. I, ran the, I ran the turkey trot 5K that morning. Ah, you're one of those people. With my youngest daughter. Gotcha. One of those people. Yeah, so it's in my little, you know, it's it's a lovely little Thanksgiving tradition with my youngest daughter. It's really sweet. I love uh, that. Know, That's a goal of mine. That's a goal turkey. of mine to do that with my kids someday. There you go. Do one of those turkey trots. Get them started young. Yeah. Um, well, I, I always watch those turkey trots with a little bit of FOMO, like, oh, yeah, I should have planned into that or I'd like to do that. But I never do. You know, I, I like to complain about it, though. But, Corey, but let's get back to work. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? I like to complain about Chinese stocks. Why not start with Alibaba? <laughs> what a great place to start. Uh, Alibaba shares have fallen 53% over the past 12 months. Yeah, and they've had a rough uh, time of it lately, the last week or so. Yeah. Uh, the latest sort of really bad news for Alibaba was not about Alibaba at all. It was about uh, another Chinese company, a big Chinese IPO in Didi, um, that uh, Uber competitor, indeed Uber, I think has an investment in Didi, um, mm. uh, there was a story in Bloomberg on Friday, right after Thanksgiving. I don't know if it got a lot of attention uh, if you weren't following the markets that day, but or following the business news that day, I should say. But there was news that the Chinese government, with concerns over the data that was leaking out by Didi operating in the public markets, wanted Didi 
to withdraw from the New York Stock Exchange and no longer have a listed stock. And that affected a lot of uh, Chinese stocks or stocks in Chinese companies, uh, uh, Baba, Alibaba included. And I just thought, you know, this is a company that I've always felt has way too much mystery around it, around how many acquisitions it's doing, what the acquisitions are. They don't always tell you what's going on in the company, what their strategy is. Um, and they're just not as, as, as close as so many U.S. companies are and other companies. This company just doesn't answer straight questions. So I went through the torture, as I do a couple times a year, of listening to the Alibaba quarterly conference calls. And, you know, the fact that a lot of the answers are in Chinese, and that's fine. There's a translator interpreter on the, on the call. That's all uh, fine and good. But the answers are just, just you, you ask a simple question, you know what you don't get? A simple a answer. simple answer. There we go. Um, so the Goldman Sachs analyst asked a really simple question on the call. He said, you know, your, your, your growth rate has slowed significantly closer to 11% of the first half of the year. You say it's going to be 16% of the end of the year. But what is the growth rate? What can we expect? You know, what is Alibaba? What is the growth rate going to be? He said, quite simply, what is your normalized pace of growth of your business? And for the China gross merchandise value or the, the GMV, or for China in general, what's what's normalized pace of growth? The CFO then goes on, uh, Maggie Wu, goes on this like weird, like just circuitous, not answering, not answering, not answering, and for a little bit more, not answering, um, even saying, well, we don't have an exact monetization plan to communicate at this stage. We'll share that later on. Maybe an investor day. Well, we don't show you the growth rate. You know, again, simple question. What's the growth rate going to be for this business? Listen to this convoluted answer from Maggie Wu. We don't have exact uh, monetization plan to communicate at this stage. Uh, we'll share more later on. Uh, during investor day, we'll also kind of uh, share with you how we measure the value creation. And then eventually, this is always uh, our theme that uh, uh, once, you know, merchants stay, consumers stay, um, and the retention rates here and they enjoy the service, we'll find out ways to monetize. So if you look at the investment we're making nowadays, we actually, um, this is our decision to, to invest and, and uh, um, to uh, move towards our target. First target is the user base of over right 1 now. billion uh, in China. Uh, I think uh, in, in that aspect, we're um, pretty much on track. Pretty much on track? And then the With what? Uh, app strategy makes the engagement uh, of these users being enhanced. Oh, the engagement is and enhanced. And then the uh, merchant side, we have a lot going on. Lots uh, going on. Of merchant service provision, uh, which we'll also share uh, next month. Um, so the value creation, and then eventually um, uh, we believe the return will be there. So the return will be there. That wasn't the question. The question was, What's the growth rate of the business? That's it. What's the growth rate of the business? What could it be? Enhanced. No answer. So enhanced. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so I think, um, I think that, you know, the problem is for companies like this, when they can't clearly communicate what they do and how they do it and what they're going to do, you know, I, I don't, I, it, you wonder what really is going on there. As I said in the tease under the hood. I don't think we're ever going to know. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's stick in the neighborhood. Autodesk. Autodesk trades under ADSK. Shares have fallen 10% in a year. So Autodesk, I say in the neighborhood because they are the, I think the closest publicly traded business to our uh, 
studio here in the San Francisco Ferry Building. Um, and Autodesk uh, reported a quarter that uh, that had the stock sell off massively. Uh, but it makes you wonder, okay, these guys sell software. They sell digital software that's, you know, digital transformation, blah, blah, blah. But, but they sell software that helps design 3D things, whether it's metaverse things or actual buildings or whatever. Why would supply chain constraints slow down the sales of this software? It didn't seem to make any sense to me. And yet the, they blamed the quarter on supply chain problems. And I just thought this, this, you know, if this makes any sense, it will tell us a lot about what's happening in the world of supply chains and maybe the most important issue in the world of business save the coronavirus variant, or maybe even not, maybe the supply chain is more important now. I thought it'd be interesting to hear how these guys can square the idea that digital sales of software and even subscription software should be so affected by supply chain. And yet, here is that explanation from uh, the CEO right across the street. I can't see him right now, but uh, Andy Anagost, the uh, CEO explaining what's going on with supply chains and how that affects their businesses, giving us a little context looking back three months ago. For a lot of our customers, the book of business they're seeing is robust. They have more demand than they're actually able to fulfill on right now. And you can see it in all the indices and all the indicators. But you also saw during the quarter, these supply chain backlogs and these inflationary pressures peaked in the quarter and continued persistently throughout the quarter. So while they have this big book of business, or they have existing ongoing projects, if you're on the AEC side and say you're on a fixed bid contract, you're going to see margin pressure because your cost of goods to deliver the project that you're working on is going up, as is your cost of labor, and actually your labor pool is tight and constrained. So you're seeing all these factors increase, uh, pinching your margins, and it's affecting your buying behavior sometimes. So even in this environment, uh, where we're, where we, we saw all of these forces, including the labor shortages and things associated with that, we actually continued to grow robustly, just not where we expected to. Now, if you're on the manufacturing side, which you notice we did in very well, and especially relative to our competitors, even there, they're, they're not able to fulfill on all of the, all of the demand they have heading into their, into their businesses. So they're not collecting cash as fast because they're not shipping the prod products that they're, that they're getting ordered from their customers. So all of these things are playing out. It didn't stop people from buying technology, but it certainly slowed down some of the activity relative to our expectations around people buying and investing in their technology portfolio. Does that make sense? Yes, Andy, that makes sense. Corey, what's your next drill down? Well, as long as we're in the neighborhood, the other company that is super close to our ferry building uh, studios here in San Francisco is Prologis. Uh, the ferry building is, is kind of pier zero, if you will, in San Francisco, pier one, right next door, headquarters of Prologis. Prologis uh, trades under PLD. Shares have risen 51% in the past 12 months. Yeah, fantastic return for this company. Why? They build supply chains. Pretty good business to be in. These guys kind of build, they, they talk to themselves, it's a REIT, it's a real estate investment trust, but it's a real estate company, particularly in this sort of warehouse space. They really manage supply chains all over the world. They've got uh, $98 billion worth of owned and managed warehouses and real estate, that, which is about 284 million square feet, uh, 4,700 buildings or so. Um, and they've seen fantastic returns. Their uh, quarter that they most recently reported a few weeks ago, um, 
same store operating income up 7%, uh, uh, really even doing better than the U.S. than they are internationally. Um, average occupancy, 97%, up 60 basis points from 90, it was 96.6% up from 96%. Uh, uh, so just great. 98% of their facilities are leased as of September 30. They're looking to add new facilities. Um, they're uh, in the supply chain business, like I said. So I think that, you know, interestingly, I think the CEO is terrific, a really interesting guy. Um, used to have lunch every day at the Slanted Door restaurant right underneath our studios here in the Ferry Building, but the Slanted Door hasn't reopened since COVID. But uh, nonetheless, uh, some interesting comments um, from the CEO, um, uh, uh, Hamid uh, Mogadam, uh, about, you know, really understand what's going on in the supply chain. I think this is actually the most interesting um, commentary I have heard about what's really going on with the supply chain, what's going on with inventories, and what kind of changes we're seeing um, right now in the context of what's going been going on for the last 10 years. Again, here is CEO Hamid Mogadam. The supply chain is, is very long, and it's gotten longer in the last 10 years. So... Basically, what happened is think of it as a big, long hose, and uh, somebody turned off the water, and the hose ran dry, and as the economies came back, um, you know, that hose got opened, and production started, and it's now flowing through the supply chain. So, it is not flowing smoothly, and the old models for predicting demand and carrying inventory are basically thrown out the window. So inventory, particularly mid-product inventory, not finished product inventory, sort of ends up uh, piling up in different places because if there's one part missing into something, it's going to hold up the inventory. The other 99 parts have to have to um, be stored somewhere. So it's creating um, a pretty significant extra demand just to balance out the system given that the buffers are not predictable anymore. So the natural follow-up question from that, I would guess, would be, well, do you guys think about this being a one-time event or a sustainable event? And uh, I would say this particular factor is likely to be a temporary, although probably two or three-year type of process before everything uh, straightens out. But um, right behind that are the two big structural drivers. Um, that on top of normal ab absorption, they include increased share of e-commerce and inventory levels being higher than prior to the pandemic. And those two things, people aren't even thinking about right now because they're they're struggling to keep their heads above water. So um, I, I think the short-term thing is really interesting. It's great for headlines and all that, but I think the much more interesting factor in terms of assessing the quality of our business is the long-term driver or the two long-term drivers of demand on top of the normal drivers of demand. So I think that's super interesting, right? This is, here's a guy saying, look, there are these huge drivers that were driving changes in inventory right when COVID hits, which is a growth in inventory and e-commerce. And so throw on top of that, just a huge break in the supply chain and the, and the slow time it takes to get everything back on track. It explains a lot of what you're seeing right now beyond, as he said, beyond the headlines. And speaking of e-commerce. Look at you with the forward promote. <laughs> well, companies like Shopify and, and e-commerce companies and even companies in e-commerce like Prologis, if you want to look at them that way, this warehouse company, they have seen a tremendous change in their business really over the last 10 years, as, as you just heard uh, Hamid Mogadon say. 
But one company that's grown fantastically is Shopify. We know that one. Another one, maybe not as well known, Big Commerce. Big Commerce is reporting fantastic growth in their business. Is it going to compare to Shopify? The CEO, Brent Bellum, joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we're joined right now by Brent Bellum, the CEO of Big Commerce. Uh, Brent, glad to have you on the drill down. Um, yours is such an interesting company. I feel like there is a moment right now, maybe better known through Shopify, of of this experience of lots of businesses online of all different sizes, including a lot of small ones. It seems like you guys are a big, important player there. Exactly right. We're really the two software as a service platforms that the world's best businesses, small, medium, and large are using to create and run their e-commerce stores. So, yeah, describe to me what the business is. I've I've come up with some really bad metaphors of my own. You've probably had more practice at it than me. Well, the two words that everybody uses is e-com platform. But e-com platform is, again, the software that if you're a business and you want to start an individual and you want to start selling product on the Internet to consumers, you can create, manage, host, run your entire store on big commerce or software as a service, which means you don't have to license and manage the actual code yourself. We do all of that through the cloud. Um, And really somebody could sign up and have a store running within a couple hours as I did in my first uh, day on the job, you know, or some of the world's largest companies like Procter & Gamble and uh, Sony, they're using uh, big commerce for some or many of their brands. So what did you sell on the first day of your job there? Well, I had a weird use case in that uh, it's, it's very atypical. From my prior company, which was HomeAway, I have a vacation home that I rent short term. Of course, I, I use VRBO and I use Airbnb for that, but I also created a website where one could make a booking uh, through a big commerce site. And it's been up for the last, well, six years I've worked here. Huh. And so it's still working. It's still working. It'd be funny if you had to go to another company. and No, that probably wouldn't be funny. Um, but uh, that is an atypical use case, it seems like. The, the use cases that you talk about in your conference calls and in your SEC filings um, are more, it does seem like it's more like an Etsy kind of, yes, there are bigger companies, but more of people selling stuff and, and real small businesses. It's primarily physical product, um, but we also have digital good sellers, you know, folks that are selling software, gaming tokens, um, you know, online learning uh, courses and things like that. But it's primarily selling products, apparel, consumer electronics, all the way up to B2B industrial goods. And um, there's a a big, it sounds like a big advertising component to that. Help me understand that. Well, the thing that our platform now does better than any other platform in the world is enable businesses to generate demand through advertising and even sales on third-party channels. So uh, that could be selling or advertising on Google and search engines, on Facebook and Instagram, on Amazon, on eBay, Wish, Walmart, Mercado Libre, 
you name it. And the reason we're the best in the world is in this last quarter, we acquired a company called Feedonomics. And Feedonomics, yeah, yeah, they're the world leader in feed distribution. 28% of the top thousand internet retailers in the United States use Feedonomics. I mean, a lot of uh, household brand names. And what they let you do is is you get your product catalog from out of your e-commerce store and then optimize it, not just distribute it, but optimize it for the exact formatting and schema that Google wants, which is different than what Facebook wants, which is different than what eBay or Amazon want. Each of them has their own schema, like their own category numbers. Some have only 50 categories, others have 50,000. You know, and what you need to do is match your category, description, get the right keywords in there. If you don't do that well, then any money you might spend on advertising is going to perform poorly. Feedonomics enables companies to do that better than anywhere else. And so we really think it's a it's a double reason for going with big commerce. Number one is we think our software is the best platform for creating and running a beautiful high converting store. And then the combination of Feedonomics makes us better at advertising and or selling through third-party channels than any other platform. Yeah, it's it's it is interesting that that all this this these different places where you sell stuff. I mean, you, just getting through the store and getting into the store isn't the isn't the you're not done yet. It is getting featured in the store and getting listed in the store and topping certain lists and so on. Yeah, I mean, if you just do the simple numbers, about a third of all U.S. e-commerce is marketplace sellers on marketplaces. So. You know, sellers on eBay, seller, sellers on Etsy, the marketplace sellers on Amazon. That's a third of all e-commerce. And so if you're a business and you choose not to utilize Amazon or eBay or other marketplaces, you're walking away from a third of all consumers because they go there, they do that shopping and they buy from marketplace sellers and you're just you're not you don't have a seat at right, the table. Right. And then for sales that are on merchants websites, uh, more than 20 percent are directly coming from paid advertising channels. You know, think Google paid search engine advertising, sure. paid advertising on Facebook. So collectively, you get to more than 50% of all of e-commerce that um, you either tap into or you bypass if you don't use proper feed distribution, advertising and marketplaces. Yeah, put, put another way, half of all business is someone goes straight to the merchant to buy someone online, but the rest of it is either coming through SEO, search engine optimization, or, or, or you know, ads on the internet, or or those big marketplaces you're describing. Exactly right. So uh, the the advertising component is interesting too because it's changing so much. Um, in particular, uh, changes right now about with the Apple iOS and what what they're calling ATT, which essentially is the the limiting ability of the new iOS to uh, let advertisers follow users across the internet, across the different apps that they use, and even their location. Yeah. What's, how's and, that affecting you? Well, as a platform, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a moving target in the sense that historically, when we would form a partnership with a really good partner like Facebook, it would be about getting the Facebook pixel uh, onto any and all big commerce stores so that merchants could in essence, use the Facebook pixel tracking and then run ad campaigns on Facebook, leveraging the information. If then, you know, Apple or Google come in and say, hey, look, we're not going to let you use that pixel tracking then across websites. 
The next thing is uh, a server-to-server integration, which we have done with Facebook. And so if you're on another platform, you're in a lot of trouble because uh, you probably don't have that server-to-server data what is server integration. server-to-server? Explain that to me. Well, it means the tracking is, instead of happening via a pixel in the merchant website, it's, it's basically happening and the data is passed back. Instead of through the browser in a pixel, it's being passed from a server at BigCommerce to a server back at Facebook. So it's really you're tracking you're so you are tracking a user, but now you're tracking them at the data center level, not at the at the device level. Uh, we're 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 tracking the behavior on a merchant's website. Okay. And then directly communicating that information back to Facebook, but not going through the the, the pixel on the browser. And and therefore not actually tracking the individual, but tracking a more. Um, um, aggregated uh, collection of data? No, what Facebook tracks, I, I, I can't tell you. That's, that's <laughs> a better question for them. But I mean, the point in all of this is we as a platform have to be at the leading edge of whatever is being utilized and allowed, um, but we don't set those standards, right? These are, sure. these, are, these are Apple and Google and Facebook and other advertisers who are changing the rules all the time. Uh, not to mention regulators, right? Um, you know, you've got GDPR coming, in coming up next, yes, Europe, exactly. well, and, yeah. and and you've got CCPA in California. These are all regulations that um, you're really lucky if you're a business on big commerce, because as a SaaS platform, we have to we have to adapt to all of these on your behalf. And when we do it, we do it for all of our merchants simultaneously. It's not like one merchant at a time, and so. If you're on an, on on-premise software, all that burdens on you. If you're on Magento, that burdens all on you. You've got to do all of this upgrading and modification. It's a nightmare. Uh, or if you're on an outdated SaaS platform, there's a good chance they're not investing to keep up. And so you want to be leading edge, and big commerce is truly leading edge. Uh, it's 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 such a fascinating time too with this change um, in you know the COVID acceleration of the of digital stores. And surely you guys saw a lot of that too. What are you seeing now? Are you seeing that we did in fact just move 10 years forward or something like that? And the pace is, is what we might have expected many years uh, in the future? Or, or are things slowing down a little bit or both? Well, we did move forward the equivalent of about a year and a half uh, in terms of adoption in the U.S. And I think that's what the sustained move forward will be. The bigger story is not the aggregate amount of e-commerce, the dollars spent. It's really two other things. One, the expansion of businesses and consumers who are now shopping in new ways and new sites. That's far more important than the actual dollar expansion. It's the breadth and depth of e-commerce use cases people are familiar with. You know, that's just the beginning. Yeah, well, in the past, you know, when you go through a, a period when you're not going to your local grocery store or convenience store, uh, so many people started seeking out retailers to buy from online and especially going brand direct that they had never bought from before. Late adopting consumers who may not be purchasing all that much. And so they don't move the GMV needle that much. But in terms of number of people now shopping and, and the breadth of places they shop, radical expansion in the last year. So I think the breadth and depth of e-commerce adoption advanced far more than a year, year and a half. Interesting. And then the second thing that a lot of people lose sight of 
in the first 20, uh, let me do the math here, in the first 25 years of the internet, so first ever, not of e-commerce, first ever e-commerce site, 1994, up until 2019, so 25 years, e-commerce only got to about 11% of U.S. e-commerce. Right, right. Sorry, of all retail spending in the U.S. and the other 89% primarily in stores. And then in that one year, we, we gained three points. We went from 11 to 14. Right. So in one year, three points versus 25 years only getting 11. But now, given the law of large numbers, if e-commerce keeps growing at 15% annually, we're going to gain the equivalent of about two points a year of, of aggregate share. My point being that we're going to go from that 14, 15% of all consumer spending in the U.S. online. We'll quickly go to 20, 25, 30 at a pace that is so much faster. The dollars are just giant. We're talking trillions of dollars globally now of online spending. And so I think this is the largest, fastest global economic transformation in human history, certainly outside of war. I mean, uh, was it faster in World War II and in a permanent way? I don't know. But outside of a war period, I mean, you've just never seen the world economy yeah. moving as fast as it is now. It, it's it's dramatic. And I think that the, with the, the supply chain disruptions we're talking about also often in the the sort of short-term effects of, of you know, inflation, transient or otherwise, it's a different argument, but it does reflect these enormous changes that are going on underneath that might be with us for a very long time. Um, you have been with us for not long enough, but we're going to let you go. Brent Bellum, thank you very much, the CEO of Big Commerce. What a fascinating story and a cool company. Um, we're going to dig into the company just a little bit more with the drill down bite. When the drill down continues, we'll have that one number that tells us a whole lot about Big Commerce right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And if you enjoy listening to the Drill Down podcast, and I do, one of the ways I do that is by using my smart speaker. I say, hey, Alexa, play the Drill Down podcast. Then I hear the latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about big commerce. Well, the growth for this company has been spectacular. 49%, there's your number, 49% in the most recent quarter compared to the third quarter of 2020. Think about what's going on in the third quarter of 2020. Those were the salad days of e-commerce, of small businesses moving online and doing whatever Mm -hmm. they could to get up there. Well, this company's still growing at a 49% clip. The subscription revenues were up 59%. So um, just strong customer growth, strong revenue growth, strong subscription growth. That's part of that revenue growth. That's the biggest part of that revenue growth. Um, It does really suggest that that what happened during COVID, uh, the COVID's worst days, wasn't a one-time thing, but an acceleration of certain trends, not least of which was e-commerce. And I mean, it's going to be here to stay, as we all know. So, one to watch. Are you been listening to Drill Down? We appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster's our executive producer. Our editor extraordinaire, Ben Wilson, is there on the turntables. Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.